He is risen. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, 8 through 10, and also 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 19. First from Ephesians. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. And from 1 Peter. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Last Friday, Good Friday, we remembered Jesus' crucifixion and death. And today, Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection. But what happened in between time? Where did Jesus' spirit go? His body was in the tomb, but where was his spirit? We just read the Apostles' Creed, and in the Apostles' Creed, there is this phrase, he descended into hell. What does that mean? The Apostles' Creed was written early in church history, about 120 A.D. The descent into hell, or the descent into Hades, was something that the early church fathers wrote a lot about, but that idea isn't preached or taught much today. And so today, I want to talk about what that phrase means and how it relates to us today. So what does the Apostles' Creed mean when it says, he descended into hell? Talking about hell, I heard a church bulletin that had this announcement. Next week's sermon will be titled, What is Hell? Come early and hear the choir practice. (laughs) Not our choir. The Apostles' Creed was written originally in Greek, 120 AD. And when it was translated into English, the translators came across a word in Greek called Hades, and they translated it as hell. We usually think of hell as a place of fire and torment and the abode of demons. There is such a place. Jesus called it Gehenna. It is translated to hell in our Bibles, but that's not the place that the Apostles' Creed refers to. Hades was the Greek word for the place of the dead. It's where the spirits of the dead went before Jesus. The Hebrew equivalent is Sheol. So when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek originally, there was that word Sheol. 
The Greek translators translated that word Sheol into Hades. Our NIV Bibles will translate it the grave, but if you read the King James Version or the ESV, it preserves that word Sheol. It appears many times in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. According to Hebrew theology, people went to Sheol after they died. No one in the Old Testament who dies is mentioned as going to heaven, except Elijah and Enoch is inferred. They all went to Sheol. It was a place of no return. In a parable told by Jesus, there's a rich man and a poor man who die. Uh, the rich man goes to a place that's where he's really thirsty, and the well, poor man goes to Abraham's side. And so in Sheol, there's different places, places of torment and places of comfort, but it's not heaven because heaven is not open yet because sin has not been fully atoned for. Even righteous saints in the Old Testament went to Sheol. They died trusting in God and his promises, but heaven wasn't open yet because atonement had not happened. Hebrews 11.13 says this of these Old Testament saints. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So Sheol had some hope because at least the people there looked forward to the fulfillment of the promises of God. So when the Apostles' Creed says Jesus descended into hell, his spirit went to Sheol, the place of the dead. His body was in the tomb, but his spirit went to the place of the dead. Now, where did the writers of the Apostles' Creed get this idea from? Well, they got it from Ephesians 4.9. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? 1 Peter 3.19, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Hebrew literature often describes Sheol as a prison. 1 Peter 4.6, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead. In Acts chapter 2, 27, Peter's preaching on Pentecost. He's going to give a scriptural proof for the resurrection of Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 16. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see decay. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to be raised from the dead. And so Jesus knew he would not go immediately from death to resurrection. So where was he during that time? What was he doing? Scripture and the teachings of the early church say he went to Sheol. This is a part of the atonement that is hidden from our view, but it is an essential part of his atoning work. 
Now, uh, this descent into Hades is really the last of the descents of Jesus. He made a series of descents to save us. The first one was from heaven into the womb. So the eternal Son of God, who existed before the foundation of the earth and created the earth, he descends and becomes a person in the womb of the Virgin Mary and lives there. And then when he is born, he's born into a poor family. That family has to run to Egypt to be saved from Herod. They live there as refugees. And then when they come back, they are poor carpenters in a poor town called Nazareth. And then there is the descent into betrayal, humiliation, torture, and death. One of his disciples betrayed him. They humiliated him by stripping him of his clothing and crucifying him naked. They brutalized him by beating him and tearing off his flesh with whips. Then he suffered the death that the Romans dreamed up would be the most prolonged and agonizing death they could invent. And then there was his descent from the presence of God. Jesus had always known intimate communion with the Father, but now when sin was placed on him at the cross, God treated him as the sin bearer and turned his back to him and utterly forsook him. No one died as forsaken as he. And then there was one final descent into the place of the dead until Jesus left Sheol, no one had ever come out. Death held your spirit. Psalm 88 gives us a glimpse of what Sheol was like. In 88.3, the psalmist says, my life is full of trouble and my life draws near Sheol. And then the psalm goes on with a further description of what Sheol was like. I'm set apart like one who is dead, cut off from your care. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who dead rise up to praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? And before Jesus, the answer to all of those questions would have been no. This is where Jesus went. He tasted the fullness of death on earth, We at least have sun and light and weather and nature and food and human companionship and the praise of God with his people. In Sheol, there is none of that. So what did Jesus do while he was in Sheol? Well, Peter says he preached to the spirits who were in prison and that the gospel was preached to the dead. Those Old Testament saints who had died looking forward to God's promised one, who died looking forward to the Messiah, Jesus announced to them, I am he, I am the Messiah. Adam once again walked with the one he walked with in the garden. Eve, she saw her seed that would crush the serpent's head. David, he met his heir who would sit on his throne forever. 
Jesus also defeated death and the devil. The gates of death could not hold him. And that separation which Satan had engineered in the Garden of Eden to separate God from man, that separation was bridged. Jesus bound the strong man, Satan, and plundered from him those souls that he had kept in that prison. And thus Jesus, the triumphant king, Ephesians 4, 8 says, led up to heaven a host of captives. Heaven, that place where no sin could dwell, was opened because now final atonement for sin had been made. And now Jesus ushers into heaven all those who are joined to him in faith. The descent of Jesus reached a turning point sometime before Resurrection Sunday. Peter said he did this through the Spirit who made alive his body. So when Jesus died, he gave up his Spirit. The Holy Spirit led his Spirit into Sheol. And then the Holy Spirit led him out. And then the Holy Spirit brought life to his dead body, resurrecting it and making it a supernatural body. And then the soul of of Jesus and the body of Jesus were rejoined, and this was the resurrection. And so death was defeated. Now the salvation accomplished by Jesus, his life, death, descent, and resurrection works backwards and forwards in time. Looking backwards, those Old Testament saints had faith in God and looked forward to the promise of the Messiah. They were joined to Jesus by their faith. We, we look back in time, and we too are saved by being joined to Jesus. Theirs was just hope. Our faith is more realized because we have evidence and proof that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is the Messiah. But faith must still believe and trust the Messiah who is Jesus. Faith joins us to Jesus like marriage joins husband and wife. And now what Jesus goes through and does becomes ours. So his perfect life and obedience, it's ours. God credits us with that righteousness and treats us as such. That death that he died, it's ours. We should have been punished like that for our sins, but he was. That descent into the place of the dead, that's our descent. We don't have to taste it. We don't have to taste Gehenna because he did. His resurrection is our future resurrection, and his ascension into heaven is our ascension into heaven with all those who are God's. And so what does this mean and what are the implications for us? Well, number one, Jesus atoned for our sin and and opened heaven for us. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, 
Resurrection Sunday are all part of his atoning work. Because of this work, we who are his do not taste the fullness of death. Neither do our loved ones who die in Christ. Yes, they tasted physical death, but not the darkness and isolation of the place of the dead. And this gives us comfort when we deal with death, whether that death is the one of a loved one or our own. The atonement also speaks of Christ's great love for us. Any one of those descents took great love. We would not leave an idyllic place and then come to some place to live a hard life, but he did. We would not voluntarily live a wealthy life and then give it all up to live a poor life, but he did. We would not willingly offer ourselves up to die a a horrible death, but he did and he could have avoided it. We would not have volunteered to descend into the deepest hell as far as you can get away from God, but he did. He did all of this because he loved us. The descent into Hades or hell also tells us that there is no hell that we experience that he does not know it, nor is there any place so low that he cannot reach us or redeem us. He continues to descend into entombed hearts, regenerating and making alive those who are dead. He descends into the depths of our loneliness, for no one died as forsaken as he He descends into our hopeless and broken places that had no promise for anything but death and redeems us and gives us hope again. In this place, among these people, are hundreds of redemption stories. I asked the 11 o'clock service once, how many of you have a redemption story? This is where Jesus reached into a dark place in their life and redeemed them. Nearly everyone raised their hand. So a few weeks later, I asked the people in the church, you know, write down your redemption stories. Uh, I think I'm going to use them on Easter Sunday. And uh, many of you responded. We received 103 of them. Then we started to get some more. And then when we typed them up and read them, it would have taken us 50 50 minutes to read them all. So um, we're just going to show you 20. And, uh, but these are just a sample of what God is doing in your life to redeem us. So let's go ahead and take a look at these on the screen.
All of those speak of his love for us and the lengths he will go to redeem us. All of those speak to you who are going through your own personal hells. Jesus can redeem you. All of those speak to you who are hopeless. He descended into a forsaken place and led people out. Do you have your own redemption stories? No one has done for us what Jesus has done. So today is a day to give him thanks. No one loves us like Jesus loves him. So today is a day to rejoice. This Easter morning was especially sweet for me. I lost my father a few weeks ago and While I was preparing this sermon, I said, Dad, you won't taste the second death. He tasted it for us. Now there's a a time of reunion and resurrection for us both. Oh, the depths of the love and glory and mercy and power of Christ. In between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday is Holy Saturday. We think of it as nothing because what happened there was hidden from our view. But while his followers were weeping and despairing and thinking their life was over, He was destroying death and redeeming their lives. He did that. And he is still doing it for those who believe. Tony Campolo, a 
Christian author and speaker and professor at Eastern University, made famous a sermon called, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Maybe you've heard of it. But he actually took that sermon from a black preacher, Shadrach um, Lockridge. I'm going to borrow some phrases from it to conclude my sermon. It goes something like this. It's Friday. The Sanhedrin is conspiring. Pilate is waffling. And the crowd is vilifying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are scattering. Peter is denying. Mary is crying. But Sunday is coming. It's Friday. The Roman soldiers beat my Jesus. They whip him with whips and they put a crown of thorns on his head. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. Jesus carries a cross to Calvary. They nail his hands and feet to the cross and they lift him up between two thieves. It's Friday, but a Sunday's coming. Jesus is dying. He is forsaken by his father. He dies alone. It's Friday, but a Sunday's coming. The sky grows dark. The earth trembles. The veil in the temple is torn in two. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The dead body from Jesus is taken from the cross. And while Roman soldiers are watching, they place him in the tomb. And they roll the big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. They think it's over. But they don't know that a Sunday is coming. Friday rolls into Saturday. The disciples are scared. They're weeping. They've lost all hope. But what they can't see is that Jesus is defeating death and redeeming their futures. For you, it might be Friday. For some of you, it might be Saturday. But where was Jesus on Saturday? Beloved, Sunday's a coming. And hallelujah, Sunday is here. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the exalted one who rose from the dead. 
And we have overwhelming proof and evidence that you did indeed rise and that you are who you said you are, the Messiah, the Savior. And Lord, we pray that you would give us faith to trust you. I pray for those who are going through personal hells, who feel like their life is in the outer darkness. I pray for those whose lives seem like there's no better possibility for them than death. Lord, I pray that you would invade their life, that you would turn their darkness into a redemption story. And Lord, we bring you that thing we need you to redeem. We pray in your name that you would work by your power to deliver and save. We're mindful of those who died trusting you. Because of you, we'll see them again. Because of you, there's a resurrection reunion. And for this, we give thanks. And now, Lord, be exalted in our lives. Be the king we worship and serve. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.